Pablo, and welcome back to the DJO Nightly News Podcast. I'm Diego Garcia, your host, and today we have a great lineup for you, exciting announcements uh, to make. So first of all, here's our special guest, Will Kyes. Hello. We have Luke Brickman. Michael, Michael Hales. Hales, how you doing? <laughs> and of course, our producer, Brooke Tran. Hello, everyone. And of course, our moderator, Mr. Bethauser. Say hello. Hello. Okay. We got a... First of all, before we begin, technically, we'd like to announce that this is my final podcast and Will's final podcast, and that Walter will not be returning to the podcast because we will be graduating very soon. And we leave you in the very capable uh, arms of Michael, Brooke, and Luke, as well as Mr. Badhauser, of course. So we're going to try them out today to see how they do. So to begin, uh, big news that we came out today, overnight, really, um, the flight... 606, uh, Egypt Air Flight 606 from Paris, Charles de Gaulle to Cairo. It went missing. An Airbus 320 with 66 passengers. They are now saying that it is a terrorist incident, that a bomb was on board. Um, it, um, that was confirmed by the Vice Chairman Ahmed Adel to Christiana Amanpour from CNN. And they've started to find wreckage off the Greek island of Karpathos. So first impressions, Will. Um, well, first of all, it shocks me that the plane was coming from Paris going to Egypt, not the other way around. Mm -hmm. uh, like, as you've seen before, there, when planes are leaving Egypt, like, there were some security concerns at one resort town, I forget what it was called, but there were some security concerns, like, people able to go into the unauthorized areas easily. And, but when you think of a Parisian with a Charles de Gaulle airport, you, um, you think of, well, at least you would think of, you you think it's more, uh, more security, mm -hmm. more tight, similar to an American airport. So that's going to strike a lot of fear in American citizens. Absolutely, I would agree with that point. Um, I myself, I've been to Egypt and I've been to these smaller local airports, Cairo Airport. Uh, last year, there was the incident where a flight from Moscow to uh, Egypt, or actually Sharm el Sheikh to Moscow, was uh, brought down by a bomb. And yeah, those airports there in fairly poor shape. I walked down a hallway in the bathroom and I came up to a door, I opened the door, it was unlocked, and I was already inside the security area in the airport. So that's really how easy it is to get through security in some of these airports. Uh, oh but when you hear Charles de Gaulle Airport, Paris's most important air or not Paris, France's most important airport, uh, you think you assume that you're gonna have a security situation similar to that that we have in the United States. And I guess that it kind of reinforces, we complain so much about our TSA regulations and whatnot, but they've really seemed to have kept us safe. We don't have incidents like this. And I mean, France, it's just gotten battered these past two, three years. Um, the Charlie Hebdo shootings, the January attacks this year, was that this year? Yes. Yeah. That was this year. The, the, um, the ones with the shooting in the theater. Um, they failed to capture the terrorists after these incidents, and now, from a French airport, we have a bomb uh, on board. So it's just making a mockery of the French security apparatus. What do you think the French's next steps should be in regards to the incidents like this? Um, Michael is our resident the TSA, security expert. The TSA really has to um, take a page out of the U.S. playbook here. I mean, the TSA and the U.S. really got to be patting themselves on the back, you know. This doesn't happen to us. They need to just—they uh, need to tighten security. You know, we can't be letting these these bombs get on because you know this is not a first-time thing. You know. To add to Michael's point, I think 
there should be a um, sort of standardization of airport security around the world, maybe making the international agency, or at least to have like, or to have trainers that overlap over all different countries and visit with different airports, different agencies to, um, to oversee everything to make sure that everyone's on the same standard. So no one's expecting one, like every, everyone has the same uh, standard and there's no like easy access targets because if there's a plane coming from like the Egyptian airport, Diego referenced earlier, yeah, to France, they could easily just like blow up the plane over France, and then it just affects it affects everyone, not just not just uh, the individual airports. So I think that there should be a more of a standardization due to that effect of everyone. I know in. My international travels have once I have flown back to the U.S. and then if I have a connecting flight, I've had to go through security once again because they want to bring everyone up to a U.S. standard no matter where the flight originated. Um, and then also a point would be that I've heard um, in some countries, like even some of the smaller countries like New Zealand, like on domestic flights you don't even go through security to get on planes. Yes, I know that, uh, well first of all I'd like to make a correction to what I said earlier. It's actually flight 804, Egypt there, flight 804. Uh, that was destroyed. But yes, I would agree with Mr. Bedhauser. Uh, I know that flights from Madrid to Barcelona, they operate on like a 30-minute basis. They just all, all hours of the day, they roll like a bus schedule. And um, what that ends up happening is that you don't need to have an ID to get on board. You just pay the price to pay the airfare, which uh, can be uh, basically just like $100. Uh, you can pay it cash. If you pay cash, if at an airport in the United States, you are going to get uh, extra security, and that's that's a fact. If you just pay, show up to an airport with cash in hand, you are going to get like double screening. But over there, there's no such thing. You just get on the plane and get off. Um, but when there's flights from places like Europe, as Mr. Bedhauser mentioned, to the United States, a lot of times you go through regular security, and then after that, you have to go through an additional security once you're about to get on board the plane to the U.S. They don't trust the security that they've done. Uh, Originally, Will, you want to add something on? Yeah, I just wanted to say that uh, for security measures, I think they're going to have to start doing. Uh, they should have dogs at every checkpoint, and they should start doing just pat downs regularly. Get mm -hmm. rid of them uh, X-rays, because first of all, X-rays like they have radiation with them, so that if frequent flyers, it's not the best like health-wise. And secondly, uh, with pat downs, you could find like things that are tight, tight on the body, like lick these liquid bombs that these people are making. And now terrorist organizations like ISIS have sufficient funds that they're able to pay people to make these um, new bombs with the new technology. Agreed. Luke, do you want anything to add? Um, I think that the U.S. needs to really take this seriously for sure. I mean, when, when terrorists are going to attack one of the most famous airports in the world, attack a plane going out of there, that's really just extra incentive, extra incentive for the U.S. to... Uh, lock up their security, make sure that it's functioning as well as it has been lately. I agree. Um, just to make something clear, this is a dynamic situation. All the major sources are reporting that uh, this is a terrorist incident, but it has not yet been formally con uh, confirmed. So we'd like to put that disclaimer in place before we continue on to our next subject, which is, of course, politics. We just love politics here at the pro podcast. Uh, here we're going to discuss possible VP choices across the entire race. So, to begin with the fun side, the GOP, who do you think should be um, presidential nomin not presidential candidate 
uh, nominee, Republican nominee, Donald J. Trump's running mate. Michael. You know what? I'm not really familiar with the names, but Donald Trump needs a person to bring him down to earth a little. I think he scares a lot of people. I think some. Uh, I think he's going to lose a lot of Republicans in this election if he makes it uh, to the Democratic side. So I think he needs a more conservative uh, running mate to really bring those conservative Interesting. people back to his. I like uh, that view. point um, because a lot of the people are saying that. A lot of uh, Donald Trump's more extreme positions that uh, the Republican Party has tried to get a moderate candidate, a moderate running mate in place. So, to Michael to take the position to have a conservative, a more further to the right, I mean, I guess that he's going to try to draw back some of the conservatives that have been alienated by Trump. Maybe not so much try to reach for the centrist, but to invigorate the base. So I think that's a really interesting point. I think people who could do that would maybe would be Mike Huckabee, Arkansas governor. Everybody loves Mike Huckabee. Uh, you know what? Even Ted Cruz, not going to lie, he is very conservative. Um, Marco Rubio, I mean, we look at him as a moderate, but he is very conservative. Um, yeah, I think those are all viable options. And if you're going into libertarian strain, maybe a Rand Paul type figure. Will, you want to contribute? I think if you took a very conservative uh, figure and made it in Trump's, and Trump made him his VP, it kind of takes away from the image Trump is trying to produce. He's trying to produce a non-politician Image and like, mm -hmm. and then he's not. I don't think he would pick someone like a Ted Cruz or Marco Rubio as a career politician. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I just don't see it. I think, I think what would be best for Trump is to pick another businessman, someone who's more down to earth, like a Mark Cuban type, someone who people like, people respect, but they, they, and he's not a politician either. Mm -hmm. Well, Will, I do have to disagree with you on that point. Donald Trump has formally announced that he will be making his running mate somebody who has been elected to office of some sort. He made that point. Um, but also, as with Mark Cuban, they, uh, some of the uh, more centrist Republicans, including Mitt Romney, are t in talks with Mark Cuban for a possible third-party run. So we could still see uh, candidate Mark Cuban. Probably not, but somebody had that idea. No, I wasn't really saying that Trump, sh uh, Trump will do that. I was saying what I think he should do. Mm. Yes, and I, that might be very helpful to him. Luke, you wanted to jump in? Yeah, I think Will's right with... <coughs> I mean, I think he has created this image of himself as not really much necessarily uh, our typical politician, but I also, I really think that Michael's right because at this point Trump has to worry about winning the election and he's not going to win the election if he stays with his, uh, what he's been doing the entire time because basically everybody who's going to vote for him in the presidential election is going to be the people that have voted for him already. My guess is that without having a conservative, like a very conservative VP uh, running mate, um, he will, I mean, I think he'll lose a lot of the Republican votes. And yes, he'll lose like some of that image of himself, but if he really wants to win, that's really the only shot he has of winning and gaining back that sort of like Republican pride. Well, I think, yes, well, I think a worry that a lot of Democrats have right now, uh, just a thought that popped in my head, uh, is that if Hillary gets the nomination, then a lot of the Bernie supporters are going to drop to Trump. Because a lot of Bernie supporters are like, I'm not being biased or anything, just statistical, are like more uneducated, young, liberal, incredibly liberal. And so they're all not about the big politicians and all that stuff. So there'll be more. And a lot of Bernie supporters that I personally know <coughs> absolutely hate Hillary Clinton. So I feel like a lot of Bernie Sanders supporters, when 
he doesn't win the nomination will then jump ship to Trump. And so that's going to create a strange balance because then a lot of Democrats won't be voting for Hillary and a lot of Republicans won't be voting for Trump. It's going to be a huge mess. I would have to disagree with Will once again. While I might not, uh, I don't believe that Bernie Sanders supporters will be um, deserting the Democratic Party in droves towards Trump of all people. I do think that it might um, extinguish the fire that we see in the Democratic Party right now like the excitement that they have for their candidate. And probably a lot of them will stay home on November 4th instead of going out to vote for Hillary, which is a de facto vote for Trump. So in that sense, I, you could agree with Will. So, something we talked about, um, something somebody, a vice presidential candidate, uh, that we have, that has been talked about a little bit, is Ohio governor, and of course Ohio is a very important state, uh, swing state, uh, John Kasich, who has been adamantly denying any desire to be a vice presidential candidate. But, you know, stranger things have happened. Donald Trump is the presumptive Republican nominee. So do you think that would be a good move on his part, Donald Trump's, or a good move on the part of John Kasich? Uh, I think it'd definitely be a good move on the part of Donald Trump's. Whether or not Kasich really wants to or not is up for debate. But like I said earlier, and like Michael said earlier, having that conservative presence of John Kasich on there, somebody who's been governor, somebody who really knows what it's like to run a state and be successful, would be really important to have as Trump's running mate, if Trump can eventually pull that off. And I think being a uh, vice president candidate could be a death sentence, possibly, for any Republican, because if you think about it, you're saying, I side with Trump, I agree with his ideas, and then presumptively he doesn't win and then you're you're still associated with Donald Trump and I, I in five years from now he could be seen as the greatest show we've had in politics in the, in the part of the century so we don't know how that could play out so that's a, that would be a very risky move Blake, you want to jump in? Yeah, but at the same time, John Kasich has actually turned Ohio around my family's from Ohio they love John Kasich Ohio, prior to John Kasich was actually in a little bit of trouble cities like Cleveland and he's, he's definitely helped that a lot. And running, running a state is the most similar, being a governor is the most similar position you're actually going to hold to being president. That's why a lot of our, uh, our best presidents in history have actually been governors. You can see like Teddy Roosevelt. Absolutely. Um, they, they know how to get it done. And Trump obviously has had no real uh, experience yeah. in politics, no elected positions. And by having John Kasich, somebody who really knows how to run it, it, I think would be really helpful for the Republican Party. No, I just want to be clear, I don't disagree with your point, yeah. I just I just think it could be a bad thing for his career, especially well, if Trump doesn't win. But mm -hmm. of course if he wins, it, it could, would be a it good It could thing. also be seen as him trying to save the Republican Party. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I mean, I think everybody... It could play out so yeah. many ways. It could play out mm -hmm. so many ways. I'm just saying that like... In the past, what we've seen is that um, regardless of one's performance in a general election, being on the ticket either as the nominee or the VP option, uh, is universally helpful to uh, politicians. If it'll help their uh, approval numbers, not necessarily in the short term, but in the long term, it will be constructive to them, especially in the Republican Party. I think it's just because it's seen as uh, experience, mm -hmm. but then, I mean, Trump still doesn't have one. Yeah, I, if Trump's a fluke, and we are... Um, yeah. it's strange. The past, what we've seen in the past, is not necessarily what we're going to see in this election cycle. Um, so some people who a lot of people consider will be Donald Trump's running mates are his uh, now supporting, well, 
kind of supporters, Chris Christie and Ben Carson. Which is such a mess. Yes. Oh my goodness, it is. <laughs> ben Carson. The fact that we're still talking about Ben Carson right now just shows ben Carson, how much shambles the Republican I know one of right them now. is. Uh, one of them, either Chris Christie or Ben Carson, was in charge of, is in charge of the search for a vice president. So just imagine who they can come up with. Um, although, to be fair, Chris Christie, he was a governor, listeners. New Jersey governor, governor of a purple state, not really a purple state, more of a blue state, but could potentially be purple, maybe not now, uh, but I don't know, I don't think that he'll be chosen, he just does not have the type of image of a vice president in my mind. Do the people in New Jersey even like Christie? No, they do not, <laughs> yeah, I have so. family in New Jersey, they don't like him. Yeah, Christie on the ticket would be an absolute disaster for the Republican Party, I mean, he's completely fallen out of favor of everybody. He was supposed to be the poster boy for the Republican Party after the 2012 election and after the uh, scandal that occurred in New Jersey. Yes. I just can't even imagine what would happen to the Republican Party if it was him and Trump on the ticket. Yes, and to recap to our listeners, the scandal to which Luke refers to would be the Bridgegate scandal in which uh, members of Chris Christie's administration ordered the shutdown of the George Washington uh, Freeway Bridge. George Washington Bridge in New Jersey, uh, basically bringing all traffic in one town to a standstill. The mayor of that town was not supporting Chris Christie. And what ended up happening is that somebody, an ambulance was called for somebody who was having a heart attack and it couldn't reach a woman in time and she ended up dying. And they're saying that that can be attributed directly to Chris Christie's orders, alleged orders that we're seeing. Before that, he also fell out of the graces, good graces of the Republican Party after his infamous hug of President Obama after Hurricane Sandy, just like three days before the presidential election back in 2012. But that said, moving on to another person we're thinking that some people have mentioned, Sarah Palin. Everyone loves Sarah Palin. Yeah, uh, who, does anybody think that this could actually happen, that we could see a Sarah Palin on the ticket? Well, if Trump wants to lose, then it's a fantastic <laughs> idea. But, if, I mean, if it didn't work once with McCain, and McCain was actually a viable candidate. So, I mean, it's either two wrongs make a right, or it's two wrongs make a wrong. I think it's two wrongs make a wrong. Yeah. Absolutely right. I agree with you. Although, we're already seeing that uh, uh, Donald Trump, he hired as the chief lawyer of his search for a vice presidential candidate, the man who selected Sarah Palin back in 2008, uh, John McCain's ju aide in that. I think that guy's just in charge of vetting them, not necessarily mm -hmm. suggesting them. Well, he didn't. He decided that Sarah Palin was appropriate. So. Well, appropriate that, in the, the fact that she judgment. had no like, hidden scandals or anything like that. Right. Uh, something funny I, I feel that should be mentioned is that back in uh, 2015, um, during the Saturday Night Live 40th anniversary special, Sarah Palin appeared and because, of course, back in 08, the SNL cast skewered Sarah Palin. Tina Fey. Yes, Tina Fey. Excellent. Excellent uh, mockery. I don't know what it's called. Parody. Satire. Excellent satire of uh, Sarah Palin back then. All right. So what was it? So, the man, uh, so Sarah Palin was brought back on to um, celebrate Lauren Michaels having bid there all this time. And he said that her gift to Lauren Michaels was that she would announce her bid for the 2016 presidency with her running mate, Donald Trump. So, who knows? Maybe that could actually happen and the joke would be on America. Uh, so. A scary joke. A very scary joke. Okay, so, now moving on to the Democratic side, uh, we have another list of possible vice presidential candidates. Uh, 
as of right now, we can't really say who will be the actual candidate in 2016. It seems like it's going to be Hillary, but it could very well be Senator Sanders. We're just going to have to hold that off. But who do you think would be Hillary Clinton's running mate? Michael. You know, guys, I'm really thinking it's going to be Tim Kaine. I think that's an excellent um, pick on Hillary Clinton's part. Um, we'll get back to that. How about you? I think Mark Warner is also a very viable pick. Yeah, two from Virginia. You know, I think Sherrod Brown would be a great pick. I would have to disagree with you, Brooke. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> All right. Well, so what do you like about his record? Can you tell us about it's his, not about his what I like record? about it's not about what I like what about his record. Like about him? What I not like about him is that Ohio governor is a Republican, of course, John Kasich. So that means that if uh, Sherrod Brown were to be picked as a vice presidential candidate and actually won the vice presidential race, what would happen is that John Kasich would end up picking who would be the interim replacement for Sherrod Brown, which would, might tip the, fa uh, the majority in the Senate towards the Republican Party, which we would have to split government, which... Or would you would have, rather have a swing state in Ohio? Yes, we would risk a swing state, but it looks like it's going to Ohio might already fall for the Republican Party. What the Democrats care more about, though, is the, is the majority in the Senate. I'm pretty sure it's going to be a blowout for the Democratic Party either way. So they don't really care about whether or not Ohio goes which way. I think that it's going to be a blowout for the Democratic Party. I've always held that belief. It's, but so I think that uh, if he were to pick Sherrod, if she were to pick Sherrod Brown, then that would be a mistake on her part. I do like Michael's point about Tim Kaine, good Virginia um, senator. We love our what Virginia you like senators. You know what I like? How he's just. He's always he's, brought it he's always on the ball. He brought he's it home for Virginia. On the ball. You know what? I speak as a native Virginian. <laughs> now, I think it's only fair that we also discuss Bernie Sanders, a possible Bernie Sanders pick. Before we, we get to, to that, I would like to talk about one more we thing. We know about nothing Michael's about Tim Kaine. Michael's point uh, about Tim Kaine. If Tim Kaine were to be the vice presidential candidate, Terry McAuliffe, who you mentioned, would be a good vice presidential candidate. And I would agree with you on that point quite a bit. So I'll, we'll get no. to that in just a second. In that case, Terry McAuliffe would choose the replacement senator. So it would be another Democrat, which would, of course, push it towards Democrats in the Senate. You mentioned Mark Warner, who is not as favored in the Democratic Party for that. They're looking more at Tim Kaine at this moment. But that would be the same situation completely. Now, with Terry McAuliffe, of course, he's a Virginia governor. He actually ran Hillary Clinton's campaign back in 07, of course, right? Yep. Uh, they're good friends. They vacationed together in the Hamptons. Um, Sounds dope. Uh, Terry McAuliffe's kids went to uh, Gonzaga, actually. So I think uh, McAuliffe would be an interesting pick because, first of all, I personally think he's done well in Virginia. I think he has high favorability ratings. I've personally met him. He's a really nice, normal guy. And also I've heard he has high ambitions from people that know him. Yes, he's been pretty good for the state. Uh, although some are saying that his sluggish economic growth rate might hurt him if he were to run for a higher office. What is it, zero percent growth that I've seen in the last like 12 quarters? I also think it would be slightly tough to have much growth because the uh, dot-com booms kind of died down. Yeah. Like once AOL came here, now AOL's like, mm -hmm. like people don't even know what it yeah, is Yeah, they failed to diversify the economy of Northern Virginia as much yeah. as it needs to. We're seeing with the, what's it called, the government shutdowns and uh, all that stuff that is hurting the Northern Virginia economy quite a bit. Loudoun County home prices are declining by the minute. I actually just read an article in the Post the other day about how the home prices in this area are not rising mm -hmm. as much as they thought they were going yeah. to. They're, they're either staying the same, rising somewhat, or falling marginally, but it, it, 
Yeah. I actually checked, yeah, I saw that article, and I went to go check my own homes, like, growth and price, and luckily, <coughs> I'm still one of the little enclaves that has had steady home, right, a home um, worth growth in the past 10 years, so lucky us. Um, so, Will, you wanted to talk about Bernie Sanders' potential vice presidential picks. Who do you think it could be? You mentioned her before. I think Elizabeth Warren would be a, I a fantastic I absolutely agree with you. Because, it's, first of all, you got Bernie... Second of all, like you would have Elizabeth Warren, who is obviously like one senator of the most, from Massachusetts for those. Yeah, one of the most well-known senators, mm-hmm. and excuse me, she also has. Uh, she would obviously have the women's vote, and well, I would stick from saying obviously have the women's vote. Hillary was supposed to obviously have the women's vote, but you're seeing a mass exodus of. Uh, that's because people in the Hillary. 18 to 35 range from Hillary to Bernie. That's because a lot of people don't like her. Mm-hmm. And so then they go to Bernie, and then then Elizabeth Warren would bring everybody else. Well, I would agree with you, Will, about that, about um, Elizabeth Warren as a potential running mate. Um, she shares a lot of the same ideas as Senator Sanders related to the big banks, to the regulation of the financial industry, uh, taxation. She's very liberal on that. She's actually a Harvard professor, um, and she said she'll go back to that after her time in Congress. But I think she would be a very good uh, vice presidential candidate for Bernie. My one possible objection to it is that that might uh, further the claim that Bernie Sanders and his entire campaign is a single-issue campaign. Elizabeth Warren and Bernie are focused on the exact same thing, being the financial industry. So that might peg them as being too concentrated in one area and not having any sort of uh, knowledge in foreign policy or things of that nature. All right. Well, that brings a close to um, the final episode of the Seniors Class 2016 for the DJI Nightly News podcast. I thank you all for listening to me this year, and I'd like to thank um, Brooke and Michael and Luke for coming on, and I hope that they stay on for next year and for maybe another podcast next week. You can count on that. Oh, I'm happy to hear that. (laughs) Well, thank you very much uh, once again. And for the last time this year, Diego Garcia, tune in out.